Welcome, SaaS people, to the SaaS Revolution Show, bringing you front row seats to the SaaS Revolution, courtesy of SaaScribe Media. I'm your host, Michael Cullen, and I'm very excited to be joined today by COO of TalkDesk, Gaddy Shamia. Uh, delighted to have you here with us today, Gaddy. Hi, thank you for having me. That's great, Gaddy. Um, for those who don't know, TalkDesk is a call center SaaS provider that allows customers to create call centers in their browser and facilitates richer interactions by providing call center agents with all of the relevant information they need in order to deal with each customer more effectively. Um, and it's also a very, very rapidly growing um, uh, SaaS company. Um, Gaddy himself is a serial entrepreneur, having sold his first company, Top Manage, to SAP back in 2002, which later became uh, SAP's core SMB offering, Business One. Um, and he was more recently co-founder and CEO of Magneto, uh, the calendar app creator, uh, amongst a number of other leadership roles in SaaS companies. Um, you can correct me if any of that was a uh, mistake in Gaddy. But uh, so I suppose um, for, for what the first thing I'd like to ask you is, uh, what was it that made you want to join TalkDesk? And, and, and how has it been so far leading a company that is growing so rapidly, as I mentioned? Yeah, so there, there is three reasons. Um, I think the first is that I really like Tiago. Uh, the, the founder and the CEO. Um, and when you're a CEO, you, you really need to uh, to have a great relationship with um, uh, with a CEO. It's two very complementary roles, and and you want to make sure that um, that you complement each other, and and everyone can bring their own uh, advantages to the table. And this is the type of uh, chemistry I had with Tiago. So, so probably this is my my number one reason. The second is that I was really attracted to um, the product market fit as demonstrated by growth. Mm-hmm. Uh, one, you know, I've been I've been building product for uh, for 20 years now, and and um, one thing which is really hard to manufacture is product market fit. It, sure. it either works or not. And joining a company trying to create product market fit is almost a, a mission impossible. Joining a company with a proven product market fit uh, and try to help it grow faster is is obviously a much um, a much more achievable goal, and it's also you know more fun. So I think these are the these were the, uh, the the two main reasons for me, and I think that if you asked me today, mm-hmm. I would have said uh, that I also really like the team we built here. Uh, I joined TalkDesk. We were about thirty people uh, between Portugal and and, and uh, Mountain View back then. Uh, now we're about eighty eighty five in, in the course of um, uh, six seven months. Uh, so we grew. We almost tripled the team in in, uh, in six months, and we have I think one of the best startup teams in, in the valley. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great, uh, and it's interesting that you, you point to uh, to the team and also the the product market fit. You know, it's it's a few of those things that the likes of Mark Anderson and Ben Horowitz and, and Brad Feld always talked about um, product market fit, and and the team is one thing, and then you know the product market fit uh, is key. And I suppose what what I'd like to know then is you know how does how does um, TalkDesk achieve that unique product market fit? You know, where where is its competitive advantage? Um, and, and what is it about the product that, that meets a solution for its market and, and solves a problem for its customers? I mean, I, I could talk for actually hours about that, but let me, let me try to summarize it. Sure. Uh, there's several reasons that contribute to, um, to talk to this growth and, and, and the product market fit. One of, one of them is that we, we almost went back or, or full circle to uh, phone being the, uh, the preferred way to support customers and, and, and interact with your customers, both if it's inbound or outbound. If you think of the, of the world 20 years ago, the only way to interact with any brand was either walk into a store mm-hmm. or call them. There was no internet. There was no mobile. It sounds hard to believe, but you know this is this is how our world operated 20 years ago. Uh, and 
you know, actually started a call center uh, or support center in 1995 uh, in a company called Quicksoft, mm-hmm. and it was exclusively uh, phone-based because most customers you don't have access to email, and tools like Zendesk were, were not even in, in, in planning back then. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that if you look at, at what happened now, and so 10 years later, maybe in 2005, everybody thought that uh, uh, call centers are dead, uh, now with internet and the beginning of, of mobile phones and Blackberries and things like this, nobody would ever want to go through the nightmare of calling uh, customer service. And if you remember 10 years ago, actually finding a phone number of a company was a challenge. There were startups that were designed around building websites that will help you find the best way to call Amazon. Mm-hmm. And I think what we're seeing now and is, is, again, we're going back full circle to the time where uh, customer service executives understand that answering a customer call is the best way to interact with a customer. And it sounds obvious, but think of it for a second. Mm-hmm. We spend so much money trying to reach out to our, to our customers and try to get their attention. And now we have a paying customer that call us. And actually, we have their undivided attention, and they want to speak with us. So why wouldn't we want to speak with them? It sounds so obvious when you say it this way, mm-hmm. but for many companies hiding behind email and, and support tickets just feels like a, a, a better idea or safer idea, whereas the more modern for, uh, forward-thinking companies trying to, uh, to bring phone as the first way to interact with them uh, because they know it's better. Customer satisfaction is higher. The chances to solve problems is, is, is higher, upsell or, or anything else. So the first, if to summarize this long sentence, mm-hmm. the first thing that contributes to our growth is that we're in a really large industry. It's a $20 billion industry. Yeah. And this industry has been frozen for many years because no entrepreneur uh, thought that uh, uh, call centers will ever be big again. So we're in this class of, of re-energizing or re-energized industry, and we have the most modern solution out there. The second half of it is, is actually what we have built. Um, there's several things that, that set doctors apart. One of them is that we are 100% browser-based. Uh, so in, in a world where, where it's so normal to use Gmail and use Salesforce without installing anything, yeah. uh, the call center space is still – even the – even. Uh, Players that say that they're SaaS, you still have to install a soft phone. You still have to uh, to install components on your computer to make it work. Right. And especially with distributed call center, it's just a nightmare. So, 100% browser based. All you need is headset, um, browser, and and internet connection. The the other is that and this is something you see a lot uh, in our ads. You can really uh, set up doctors in five minutes. Yeah. Um, and. and we say it, and you can really do a basic setting in five minutes, but we have customers with 100 agents that went live a week after they signed up with us. Wow. Uh, and, and this is unheard of. Uh, we're often in situations where uh, we're in a final back-off between us and a competitor, and we, are already, we already finished our, our trial with the customer. We went live for a week or two, um, integrate with, with whatever products they're using, and um, uh, and they still and the competitors still trying to uh, to bring the system and get the system up and running. So this is definitely another another major differentiator. And the third uh, is very deep integrations with uh, every customer facing system that you might be using. Mm-hmm. Uh, we integrate to Zendesk, we integrate to Salesforce, to Desk, to to e-commerce systems like Shopify, Magento. Mm-hmm. Um, we integrate to chat systems, and the idea behind it is threefold. One is uh, when a customer calls, you know everything about the customer. We show you the all the information about the customer, their title, their company, but also the entire customer journey throughout multiple systems. 
Okay. Open ticket with Zenda, sales opportunity with Salesforce. So as, a, so as an agent, you're immediately informed about the customer without digging through various systems. The second piece of it is that you can interact with all the systems through DocDesk without leaving our UI. Uh, talking on the phone is pretty hard, cognitive mm-hmm. uh, uh, task, and just doing it plus navigating between eight different tabs is almost machine possible. So mm-hmm. we create one UI where everything happens. And the third is workflows. Uh, we we can automatically set workflows. So when an event happens in Talkdesk, for example, there's an escalation call, we automatically create a ticket in Zendesk and set it to the escalation queue with all the information. So we don't rely on agents' memory to, to go and set up things correctly in various systems. An event in Talkdesk can trigger any event in any other system. Okay. Well, yeah. I mean, <laughs> that sounds like you you have a, a lot of a lot of differentiators there. Not not just you know the technology, but also um, you know how how you're enabling. For me, what I would see is customer success, and you know customer success is 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 what we we talk about a lot in, in the SaaS industry. Um, but we we often think of it as um as very much a proactive customer engagement. Then you know I've read in 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 a few different places that. You know, but by the time a customer calls in, um, it's too late. You know, you need to engage with your customers proactively. You need to be upfront in order to 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 upsell and to drive lifetime value. But it seems to me that you, you're kind of flipping that model on its head, and you're taking the inbound call as as the center of of the customer engagement. And you know, you're, you're rather than proactively reaching out to the customer, um, you're making sure that when that inbound call comes, that you're you're best prepared to to deal with it. Um, and do you think that that's uh, that's that model for customer success is something that works, and and that's something that can can drive um, greater upsell and cross sell to customers from from an inbound call? Uh, absolutely. So in many cases, the inbound part is not put in the door, although um, we have customers that start with outbound and, and um, calling their customers. We do it pretty well as well. We we can literally live in the UI of, of products like Salesforce, and then you can just click on any customer and call them directly uh, without leaving Salesforce. So we do both. Um, we often, But we often get in first through, um, through customer service and customer success, uh, and, and the reason is that in many cases, the, the need is just greater. Uh, salespeople can use their cell phones or desk phones, and, and they, they have more time to prepare. Uh, if you're running customer support and you decide to, to provide phone support or you're dragged to provide phone support, which happens sometimes, uh, you just need a solution that will give you everything we do um, off the bat. So it's a great place uh, to get in. And what we see when you talk about cross-sell and upsell, what we see is that uh, – uh, we either see additional departments in, in larger companies just adopting us over time, or we see um, the other thing we see is, is, is additional use cases, for example, sales or sometimes billing and collection. Uh, we'll just use as vendor services. Uh, and the third is that many of our customers just grow really fast. Uh, we start with customers that uh, uh, might start with us with 10, 20 uh, uh, users and grow to 100 uh, we have a lot of tech companies and a lot of forward-thinking companies, and we like to think that uh, if you really care about customer service, you also uh, grow really fast because customers appreciate that. So mm. we we enjoy working with many, many fast-growing companies. That's great. Okay, yeah. And, as, and, and I think then, you know, talking about your customer base and, and the growth in your customer base, you know, how much of, of that growth um, is coming from existing accounts and coming from your own customer success efforts? And, and I suppose a, a twofold question. The second part being, um, how many of your, or what proportion of your customers are uh, in the tech sector, are startups like yourselves, or have you managed to diversify and bring kind of older 
um, more established companies on board, the likes of telecoms companies on board as well? Yes, so the answer is, is uh, yes and yes. We have a lot of tech companies, and um, uh, you know, it's companies like DoorDash and Anki and, and many companies like, like them. Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, we have companies like you know, Pete's Coffee and Tea and, and uh, PBS and the 49ers. So we do have a, a variety of, uh, uh, of customers using us, both tech and non-tech. I like to think about customers as not necessarily belong to a specific sector, but just as being forward thinking. And tech companies just tend to be, uh, and startups uh, specifically, just tend to be more forward thinking. Uh, when you're DoorDash, for example, and, and you launch a service, you have to think about what's the best way to, to serve your customer and help them because it's just part of your offering. You don't only deliver food, you deliver a full experience and you have to think of the entire life cycle. When you're Anki, which is the robotic car uh, game company, you don't only deliver a car, you deliver an entire experience of opening the package, of start using it, of winning the first the first game against the other car. And customer service is part of it because if you don't know how to play the game, uh, you will return it. And then uh, obviously Anki lost a customer for life. So they understand that they, if they want to, to earn this customer for life, they have to provide customer service as much as they have to provide a great service and a great product. Uh, now, for your first question, mm. uh, the answer is both. Uh, many of our, most of our growth is coming from new accounts. Uh, we're still uh, in, this, in this stage. We're in this huge industry. And, and again, when you're in a $20 billion company, no matter how large your revenue is in a startup, you're still uh, you know, nearly not even scratching the surface. Mm. So a lot of our growth is coming from new accounts. Uh, but it's very, very common that a customer will, will um, uh, sign up with us and double itself within six months. Wow. Okay, okay, yeah, cool. And, and then, um, I suppose, talking about that growth, uh, we actually, we spoke recently and interviewed um, your, one of your, your bigger fans, Jason Lemkin. Um, and, you know, he, he spoke about the rapid growth from 1 million uh, AOR to, to 10 million, you know, in the space of 12 months. And, um and you know he he referred to it as being pretty epic growth rate you know and he, he also mentioned that Tiago is is one of the most amazing CEOs he's ever met which is which is pretty high praise but um he also said that you know bringing bring the likes of a, a, a Gadi Shamia on board would be extremely helpful to the likes of Talkdesk so i'm just wondering you know we're experiencing in the likes in top manage and SAP busy Mag- magneto and all these companies what does a, a ceo of your experience bring to to talk desk and you know how how have you um enabled them to 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 um increase that growth rate even further you see you asked me at the beginning what was the reason i joined i joined talk desk what did i like and and as i said um i i found i found a true partnership with tiago um He's a CEO, as a CEO, and I and myself as CEO, and this is a pretty common pairing now in in the valley, which I think tells us a lot about how uh, how much CEOs and, and actually this industry is maturing. It's CEOs ten years ago were expected to uh, figure out everything and manage every detail, and now and now they I think that there's a new generation of more confident CEOs that understand that they, they if they build an awesome product, they can be good at three things and not be good in two others and have and hire people that, that, that will complement them. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's pretty exciting to work uh, to work like this as a team. And, and per your question, I think that um, one of my unique perspectives is, is that I constantly move between large companies and, and startups. Mm-hmm. I started my life in a startup. I got acquired by SAP. I spent six years as a, at SAP as a VP and a senior VP. Mm-hmm. Um, 
end up scaling um, uh, various products from from almost nothing to hundreds of millions in, in of revenue a year, uh, and and doing that um, or being in a small company, then going to a, to a large company, then going back to a small company, then going back to a large company, Adobe in this example, um, give you this perspective of of uh, the speed you can you can drive thing in a startup plus the scale you can imagine in a large company. I think these two married together are really really effective. And it's it's uh, and the perspective I believe I have is that is what's important and what's not. So I think if you always you always work in a large company and never work in a startup, uh, you you tend to fall in love with all the processes because all of them seem important. Everybody follows all of them and 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 they all part of the. Uh, uh, the fabric that makes a large company tick. Mm. When you go back to a small company, you tend to actually say, oh, I have no processes because I don't need processes. We're 10 people here uh, growing really fast. Yeah. Um, we're exactly at this as a stage in between where uh, we need to implement processes, but we need to implement the most important ones first. So there's no point to create a, an employee handbook with 700 pages because nobody's going to uh, read it. It's important to actually say, well, what will enable sales to sell Faster, I guess is onboarding or a process to hire and onboard uh, people is the most important thing for sales right now. Let's focus on that because uh, this process is life and death for us. Uh, release process is a life and death for us right now. Um, you know, hiring process is a life and life and death for us now. So let's focus on these processes and slowly add the ones that that can be you know second tier and third tier. So this is an interesting perspective sure. uh, that, that I bring to the table. If you ask me what I've done. Um, in the in this last six months, um, that I'm most proud of is is helping Tiago build this awesome team. Yeah, um, it's building a company is not just hiring people; is hiring people and and architect the organization in a way that will be effective and hire the right type of people, the right managers, create the right teams and sub teams. Uh, when I joined Talkdesk, we were three different type of people. We were sales support and and uh, engineering. Yeah. And obviously, as the company grows, now we have customer success and we have a product team and we have design, we have marketing, and designing it and and you know working alongside Tiago and the other executive to hire the team was probably the most important thing we um, we've done this year. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No. And it sounds like you're definitely bringing a uh, a unique perspective. And obviously, like you said, you know, 20 years experience of of, of building building SaaS products and SaaS companies. But I suppose with, with that, um, you know, with that experience, and you've obviously tended towards software as a service um companies um in the past. And you know, I suppose from our listeners and readers' perspective, what what is it about the SaaS industry and about you know building and growing SaaS companies that interests you so much and excites you so much? So I, I think at first I'm, I like enterprise software, and I just described it yesterday. I've been in Berlin uh, on on um, Friday, and I met two two great customers of ours that, that are part of this amazing SaaS uh, and, and it's actually software or startup ecosystem in mm. in Berlin. And I spend I usually spend the first thirty minutes with a customer just understanding their business. Yeah, and. It was a quick deja vu to my first days at, at Top Manage where I went uh, through, I probably met 1,000 customers in, mm-hmm. in my first two, three years there. And I called it my uh, my, my crash course MBA because it's, you literally go through 1,000 case studies of how to build a business. And, and every business has different uh, experiences and different things they measure and different uh, different things they focus on. So the first thing that excites me is, is really building enterprise products because at the end of the day, this is what drives drives the economy. We all we all make money and, and, and earn a living because there's 
that get good companies out there that build good products and uh, and make good profit. So I really like enterprise. I think the only mm-hmm. enterprise uh, play right now in the last probably 10, 12 years is SaaS. Yeah. And what's great about SaaS is that you have to build a product that will earn your customer uh, loyalty every month or every year. Or it depends on, on, on the uh, term of contract you have. Yeah. So the standards we're, we're held to is much higher. And it led us to build uh, different type of people, different type of models. We build better products today than we built 15 years ago because selling the product is really just 10% of the work. Uh, we added people like customer service and customer success that we never had before because maintaining customer loyalty become really important. So what happened at the end is that we not only we create, we're creating better products, we're creating better service and better experience to, to our customers. And this is what's exciting. You can't just build this great product, have a great year of sales, and forget about your customers. You have to keep investing in them. And holding yourself uh, to a higher standard usually drives everybody to to perform it at, um, in a better way. Absolutely, yeah. And look, that that's one of the key things that that we talk about a lot is is that you know that recurring business model and and how it how it I suppose it forces companies not that we need to be forced, but it does it does force software as service providers to to uh, to invest in their customers and, and invest in their customers' own success. Um, so I suppose um, on that point, you know, how have uh, renewals and and customer success and, and churn and and those kind of indicators been performing at TalkDesk to date? Um. We see very little, we are very happy to see very little churn. Um, most of our customers tend to um, stick with us, and, and uh, we develop long-term relationships. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have some customers that um, um, occasionally will go out of business. Yeah. Unfortunately, we just lost one big tech company that was our customer at the end of May uh, that went out of business. But by and large, um, our customers tend to stay uh, stay with us for the uh, for the long haul, and we're trying to build a type of relationships with them. So we've been so far very fortunate uh, keeping and maintaining most of our customers. That's great. That's great. Um, and I suppose that, that obviously that's key to your growth. It's not it's not just acquisitions, but it's retention, and, and that's obviously a focus for you guys and for your customers as well, in turn. But um, you know, speaking of your growth again, because it's what everybody is kind of when you talk about talk desk, people say you know you start comparing you to the likes of Zenefits and uh, and and Slack and the kind of growth that's being uh, that's being seen and the kind of valuation that have been placed on on SaaS companies um, in in the last couple of years but you know what what I'd like to know is uh, would you ever be concerned about the rate at which SaaS companies are growing and the valuations that they're receiving you know and I know you'll probably think oh not this question again but you know a lot of people have compared it to to the dot-com bubble and you know do you think it's a bubble do you think the valuations are too high or do you think the the um, they're merited you know, I'm probably not smart enough to to uh, to comment on on whether valuations are too high or not. And and the reason I'm not a professional investor, and and uh, I tend to focus on building uh, revenue growth and and uh, build great teams versus thinking about valuations too much. Sure. My, my only comment is that if you if you see that the, the previous generation of SaaS companies um, by and large end up being uh, go public and 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 value for about one and a half to two and a half, three, three, uh, three billion with some exceptions. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and the exceptions obviously are companies like NetSuite that uh, was uh, the two or the one, two billion club for many years, but then uh, climb up towards, I think, almost 10 billion. Obviously, Salesforce is a great example uh, of companies that, that cross this uh, um, this barrier of two billion. Yeah. Uh, but if you, if you just look even five years ago, the barrier was a billion. 
Yeah. Well, three years ago, the bear was a billion. Well, Six hundred million was a good exit for a SaaS company. Mm. Uh, now, um, now good SaaS companies have traded two and a half to two and a half million. Uh, sorry, billion. Uh, the 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 um, valuations of today are not the, do not need to match the um, uh, the public market of today. They need to to match the public market of three years from now, five years from now. Yeah. And neither neither you nor I nor anyone can actually predict what this market will be. Mm-hmm. I think what investors are telling us is that they believe that that SaaS companies, the successful SaaS companies that will go public in 2018, 2019, 2020, are gonna um, you know, roam around or hover around the uh, uh, the five billion and not the two billion, and I think this is how I I read the uh, the high the high valuations. Uh, what's in common between Zenefits and and Slack and and to some extent or maybe to a lesser extent Talkdesk is that we all work in this really really large industries mm-hmm. and we all grow really fast. Yeah. So. Um, when you are in this situation, one of the best thing you can do is actually keep investing in your growth, because you're not trying to develop a billion dollar market. You're trying to develop a twenty billion dollar market. So your only limitation is really your ability to execute and not the size of the market. Mm-hmm. And I think that, that this is the, this is why I see so much money poured, in, poured into Zenefits and so much money poured into Slack because it's it's a pretty uh, easy to imagine land grab. Um, Mm-hmm. Where you are a successful product in a large industry, and if you just invest enough, you can grab uh, a pretty significant part of the industry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think that's a really interesting insight. Um, and you know, obviously, we think of it as a huge valuation, but like you said, if you compare it to the size of the opportunity in industry, then maybe it's actually far more reasonable than it than it appears as a as a as a total value. Um, but uh, you know, speaking of um, uh, valuations and, and exits and, and all of that, what would be yours and, and Tiago's uh, vision for Talkdesk over the next few years? Would would it be an acquisition play, you know, or or would it be an IPO? This is actually probably question five that I asked Tiago after we met the first time, um, and and Tiago said IPO um, okay. without even hesitating. And I think I liked it a lot because it's it's um, I've been through acquisitions, I acquired companies, and it's it's a de- it's a great way to uh, for an exit, it's a great way to um, uh, to take a company that um, uh, you could possibly grow to X and, and maybe grow it to 10x. This was my experience with top management SAP. Yeah. Um, SAP took a pretty small company back then and helped and, and obviously gave us a a platform and a canvas to uh, to make it hundred times larger. So it's a great way to um, uh, to build a business and, and and keep developing it. But building your own company is obviously much more interesting. Uh, again, we have the ingredients. We have a good product. We have a, a pretty large industry, and and we have the patience to uh, to build a long term success. So, at least the way we think of things right now, we want to take this company public and go all the way with it. Okay, great. Yeah, and and what kind of time period would you see that happening in? Uh, you know, when when we are good and ready. Yeah, <laughs> that's a good answer. That's a good answer. Yeah, no, there's definitely no point in in, in rushing that. Um, particularly with the with the growth rates that you've been seeing to date, I think there's plenty of growth left in in Talkdesk um, before before an IPO. Um, and just on on that side of things, um, you know, how how influential have people like uh, Jason Lemkin been, and and the investors that you, you you've uh, brought on board in the past couple of years, um, in in the growth and and in the success of of Talkdesk. I think J- Jason was a great ally for the company. He uh, he invested um, when, when the company had six seven people, and and I think he had the um, and, and what Jason I was asked this question at LP event of Storm Ventures, and the question was, how did Storm help you, and how did Jason help you, and yeah. and um, my answer was, 
uh, I think Jason gave Tiago and and the team the the courage and the um, you know the, the safety blanket to to dare and and to um, and to take larger risks. At the end of the day, people over over uh, uh, estimate the the actual value of a VC. Uh, investors are great; they they provide money, they provide good advice. Uh, but the biggest help the investor can uh, can provide to a company, especially in the growth growth stages. Just enable it to continue doing what it's doing, mm-hmm. uh, because you invest only in great companies. No, no small investor invests in in, um, uh, in bad companies. And assuming that an investor will invest in a bad company and trying to improve it is is a false assumption. Um, so Jason invested in a great company. Josh Stein invested in a great company. So the only thing you can do is is enable us to take larger risks, to um, uh, to dream bigger, etc., uh, and keep doing what we're doing. So occasionally we're going to get a really good advice. Um, Occasionally, they will have a perspective that we don't have, and this is something that we totally appreciate. Mm-hmm. But the biggest contribution of of uh, DFJ and Storm uh, to our journey was just enabling us to to uh, to keep growing and keep taking risks and um, and daring more than we would have dared without them. Cool, yeah, you know, I think that's probably the, the the best role that a VC can play, and when when the growth is that great and the company's doing so well, just you know keep enabling it to do what it's doing, as you say. Um, so just, just one last question for you, Gary. Um, we've talked about, I suppose, the, the influential people and, uh, within the company and also on the investor side. Are there other entrepreneurs, other fa- uh, founders and leaders of SaaS companies that, that you would find inspiring or that you would look to as, as an example? You know, the, the likes of, of, we spoke about Zendesk, you know, Barker Conrad and, and Slack, Stuart Butterfield and, and those kind of guys, Aaron Levy. You know, are there other guys um, leading SaaS companies that, that you would draw inspiration from? You, you know, this, again, this is another question that, that I'm asked consistently for 20 years now, and my <laughs> answer is that, that I usually have no one person. I'm trying to learn something from everyone, yeah. uh, and they don't have to be leaders, and they don't have to be famous CEOs. They they can just be somebody running customer service for one of our clients or a partner or director of IT of, of a German customer of ours. Everyone has something to, to bring to the table, and I, I try to learn from all of them. Uh, I think that there's, there's a, there's a lot of really good SaaS companies now and, and everyone is unique in their own way. Uh, I like what, what, uh, Naked Gainsight, for example, did with building a brand around customer, um, customer success. Uh, so it's, it's, I'm trying to learn, um, from Nick how you build a company or how you build a story around the product which doesn't involve the product. So, it's just an example of, of uh, mm-hmm. not necessarily a company that I admire or not admire Nick and, and I dra- admire his success so far. But what I'm trying to learn from Nick is, is how do you take uh, a story of a product versus a product and, and, and make it uh, what you lead with. So mm-hmm. my, my answer is everybody brings something to the table. And if you just open our, our ears, and ears, ears and eyes and learn from everyone, we're going to be very often to try and have one idol. Absolutely, and I think that's that's some really great advice for for our listeners and, and readers, the subscribe and people who are trying to to advance their careers and, and learn from from people like you and and from other leaders in the industry. So that's uh, I think that's a really uh, good note to to wrap it up on, Gaddy. Um, thanks very much for your your insight. It's been very very insightful, very interesting. So uh, thanks again for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me.